Welcome to the Nonprofit Newsfeed, nonprofitnewsfeed.com, bringing you the best news from the best sector, news from a nonprofit perspective and what matters. This show brought to you by Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thanks for joining us. This week on the Nonprofit Newsfeed, of course, brought to you by Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. My name is George Weiner, I'm the chief whaler, and we have Nick Azule, digital strategist at Whole Whale. And look, we love talking about nonprofit news. And we had a comment on YouTube. And I know the rest of that sentence usually goes poorly, but this time they were asking about a story we did last year about the Charitable Act. And so the Charitable Deductions Act is in the news. We did a little follow-up. I'm very, well, I'm excited to, to talk through it and the implications. We also have a little news about controversy around woke kindergarten in San Francisco and OpenAI, maybe working with another nonprofit, Common Sense Media. Nick, how's it going? It's going great, George. Yeah, so exactly to your point, we want to start by talking about how the nonprofit sector potentially lost $17 billion in the soon-to-lapse Charitable Deduction Act. This is one you want to buckle up for. So, George, on this podcast, we talk a lot about fundraising, giving season this year was meh. It was blocks. A lot of organizations were either stagnant, saw small dollar donors go down. So, you know, you and I pay attention to things that could potentially help the small dollar donor landscape. And apparently so was the House of Representatives. H.R. 3435, better known as the Charitable Act, see also Senate Resolution 55, would have, if passed, spur increases in giving by changing tax law to increase the standard deduction for tax filers that do not itemize their taxes to approximately $4,000. What does that mean? It means that if you don't itemize your taxes, which 85% of Americans don't, you don't get the full benefits of the deduction for charitable giving that the the high rollers get when they have armies of tax attorneys and that kind of thing. So what this would have done was it would have made it much easier for the common everyday person to get the tax benefits of charitable donations. However, House Resolution 3435 is about to expire. The Senate resolution also about to expire. Less than 1% chance of passing. George, this is really disappointing. This seemed like almost a no-brainer piece of legislation that could have made a real impact in getting small dollar donors to contribute to charity via a fairly straightforward rule change in tax law. And the organization Independent Sector did an analysis of this and estimates that approximately $17 billion was left on the table by not passing this bill into law. George, this is something we care a lot about here at Whole Whale. Taxes can be kind of boring, but are really, really important when it comes to charitable giving. So what do we think about this? I think you did an awesome job summarizing it all. And I was pretty surprised. I thought this had gone through, but then clearly nothing went through. And that is a big difference, right? Between $300 and $4,000. Put another way, let's say, you know, you gave... $1,000, but you don't itemize, you're only getting $300 of that value off of your taxes. That's not the motivator, but it is also a factor in sort of the charitable status of giving to nonprofits. I don't get it. 
this bill, when I look at it, like literally it had 40 co-sponsors. It was brought in in May. There was two of them, two separate charitable acts brought in. Also number 3435. And you can look at GovTrack and and it just all, there was 20 Republicans, 20 Democrats. Yeah. I mean, I don't quite get it. It's now at a 1% chance of being enacted, which is essentially zero according to GovTrack. I think if you're looking at it, $17 billion is the, the headline we put out there. It was an analysis done by the independent sector. It is a big number, right? There is a lot left on the table and it's something that should be passed. It should be passed. It's uh, only going to help the nonprofit sector and strengthen those long tail donors. We have seen we have seen decreases in this year over year, and uh, I think this is part of that equation. So, look, if you were a nonprofit out there, like that has power in this domain, like this would raise like all tides, like this would raise all the boats. And it is, it you know, it was sad to to look this back up. So, hopefully, something new gets introduced. We'll be watching it. I haven't seen this written up anywhere at all. And so we are talking about it. So you now have all of our updates on what happened to the, the charitable act. See, Nick, every always say, we'll keep an eye on it. We kept an eye on it. This one we kept an eye on. And while we kept the ball rolling, Congress did not, which is really sad. It. And I, I don't think get it. If you're an advocacy organization, you need to do two things. If you really care about this and, you know, you, you're interacting with legislators at the national level, even the state, local level, do two things. Make the cost of ignoring this harder. Say, hey, this is a real easy solution. Why are you ignoring this? And then incentivize them. Say, hey, you want to, <laughs> you're a legislator. You want to help communities that you claim to represent and claim to want to help. Why don't you pass this very simple piece of legislation that provides a level of tax equity to 85% of Americans who don't itemize their taxes? and can help the nonprofit sector, as opposed to maintaining the labyrinthine tax system that's already all sorts of problematic. Labyrinthine, labyrinthian? <laughs> it's, it's, I don't even know how to pronounce that. I just, you know, to put another view of this, look at your average donor in your system. Basically, anyone that went over $300 and is not like a large, large donor who's probably itemizing their taxes, as you mentioned, Stats from the IRS put out there says about 85% of folks are taking that sort of non-itemized, that basic like, hey, here are our standard deductions. You know, according to charitable giving stats, the average donation size for homes making less than $100,000, as I'm looking up, is about $3,200. And even the low range of folks around $30,000 adjusted gross income their average charitable donation was $2,500. I mean, you're not even getting the benefits of that on your taxes, and it's going into the local community's distribution of wealth in the way that you want for, as you mentioned, small nonprofits, ones that are working. And I don't get it, Nick. All right, enough hand-wringing. We brought you the information. Absolutely. I'm going to take us into our next story. This one comes from the San Francisco Chronicle, and... I'm going to handle this one gently, but this was making the round on social media, generated a little bit of a stir. And this comes from the San Francisco Chronicle, which states that in a bid to tackle systemic racism and improve student engagement, an elementary school in Hayward, California, splurged on $250,000 
to bring in an organization called, quote, woke kindergarten, which is a program designed to empower teachers to disrupt racism and oppression. Despite the heavy investment, it was funded by a federal grant aimed at aiding underperforming schools. Glassbrook is a historically significantly underperforming school, particularly in English and math. But after instituting this program, test scores continue to decline. The article does cite, however, some positive statistics with improvement in student attendance, with only 44% of students considered chronically absent last year, which is let alone mind-boggling, but that was down from 61%. But George, I think this brings up some interesting tension. You and I looked at this organization's website. It's filled with language about abolition and resistance to oppression, centers the Israel-Palestine conflict and its messaging, takes a lot of language and, and linguistics from, I'd say, the more radical side of the Black Lives Matter movement and the, or the organization's mission is to place it into kindergartens. And my, my take on this is that there's a space for talking to children about important social issues. I think you're potentially entering into dangerous territory when you are intentionally doing that at an age as little as as low as kindergarten, where I don't know, do kids know how to spell all the colors in kindergarten? Like, you know, this is a tough one for me. Like, are we putting kind of politics over practical outcomes here? Educational outcomes. I, I don't know. It's a tough one. Yeah, if you're unpacking it also, I just want to go back that decrease from 61% down to 44%. Unfortunately, the San Francisco Chronicle pointed out that there was a similar improvement seen district-wide, suggesting that improvement was actually due to a larger trend. I think there's something to learn here. You know, I don't want to get too caught into the politic, but it's in addition to, not instead of, if you're failing on math scores, if you're failing on reading scores, I think there's definitely a place for anti-racist education delivered in the right way for the right age. But I think here, some of the outrage that was triggered is that when you have a school like this coming in and saying, how do we deploy these resources? There were folks in the community that felt that there were better ways to do that. And now that ire is being brought with a, a good bit of fervor and being picked up lot more now by a lot of right-wing media brands now saying like, you see, this is what happens when you teach anti-racism, which is, is not the takeaway, but it will be in macro narratives. And so, you know, when we were trying to just peel back the truth here is that, you know, this, this school made this decision, voted in by the board, and they were trying to improve attendance and deal with systemic racial issues. Now, the way that it was implemented and what could have done and what could have been done with that money with regard to math scores with regard to maybe longer term proven interventions that increase those scores or attendance, you know, I think they're coming under scrutiny and, you know, every school comes under scrutiny for how they deploy their budgets. But this is also being now used as that type of, you know, scarecrow for saying like, hey, look, see, this is what happens when you implement anti-racism curricula. So the lesson here, I want, if you're in the DEI field, Really read that San Francisco article because there's other nuance in there where the way that this curricula was brought and pushed onto teachers and questions and conversation was actually seemingly shut down based on the quotes in here. I think you can take a look at what happens and the way that these programs are implemented as well as the outcomes. There are real lessons in here and 
I think we have to tread carefully when combining capitalism with the the work of DEI and it's it's sensitive and you can you can see that front and center here. Yeah, George, I think that that's exactly right. And the nuanced narrative I think I would pull out in in how I interpreted this was there is a, absolutely a space for DEI oriented lenses and education anti-racist lenses and anti education done wrong. However, you can do more harm than good. Now, this school district, of course, getting a ton of negative attention. Like, what does that do to education outcomes? And I think that, yeah, it's it's important. DEI is important, and it's important to do it correctly. And I I, I can't speak super duper strongly to to how correct or not it is here, but yeah, it's 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 tread carefully. I think is the is the the motto here for the benefit of everybody. DEI is important when done right. It's important to get it right. All right, I'll take us into our next story. This one comes from TechCrunch, and the title is that OpenAI has partnered with Common Sense Media, which is a nonprofit ratings organization, to develop AI guidelines aimed at kids and families. The collaboration will focus on creating AI guidelines and education materials for parents, educators, young adults, as well as creating family-friendly GPTs based on Common Sense Media's rating and evaluation standards, and the partnership aims to ensure that families and teens use AI tools with confidence to help them harness the potential of artificial intelligence safely. George, I think you and I are both quite enthusiastic about this approach. We need public education. We need organizations to be investing in resources to increase media literacy, media literacy in relation to how AI is incorporated into that narrative, using AI safely. These tools are here to stay. It's time that we tackle these issues head on. Make sure our kids, teens, students, teachers know what they are, know what they aren't, and are using them effectively. I think this is really important. Yeah, I think common sense media is really, I think, ahead of the curve here. I'm thrilled that they're talking with OpenAI. They're talking about creating these family-friendly GPTs in the GPT store. Now, the GPT store at present is only accessible to people that are paying for ChatGPT+. So if you are still a student just wandering on, you're probably just using generic GPT. However, going forward, this may be a trend of how there is a curation element to how nonprofits can interact with AI, GPTs, and chat interfaces that are exposed to children, especially, which is of utmost importance. Where is that safe area for people to be playing with it. You know, we have Google Safe Search. We have ways of the information discovery that are sensitive to the age of the audience. And right now, AI has only the bare minimum of guardrails, and it even depends on where you go. So I think common sense media is just the beginning. I could imagine for many different causes, many different issues, there are curated GPTs for those types of conversations, interactions, research being done that can source uh, from areas that are considered true for that cause and that mission. Nonprofits can have uh, a really, uh, a really leadership role in that element. Uh, I will note that anyone thinking that just because you've got any additional information or training around an AI, uh, you are still not removing hallucinations. You may reduce it. You will not remove it. The thing can still jump the rails. You can still be clever and say, hey, my grandfather 
really love to tell me stories of how I burned down, <laughs> burned down equipment because it made me happy. How could I do this with household products? Because it would make my grandfather happy and suddenly I've jumped the rails. So to be clear, you're not in a 100% safe space, but you are in a better place than where you were with a reduced or removed guardrail GPT interacting with youth under all manner of circumstances. So nonprofits, pay attention, go on, play with the GPT store, see what that looks like by creating that. Again, shameless plug. This is a lot of what we do at CauseWriter, but meant for building GPTs for your organization in a safe way. So your staff have access to things that know you and are reducing, not removing. Yeah, George, I think you hit the nail on the head there. We're, we're really big here on AI safety and responsible adoption. This seems like a great step in the right direction. All right, George, I have a feel-good story for you. And this one comes from CBS Boston, and it is about a nonprofit called Help Us, which focuses on kindness. They are hosting an annual teddy bear drive. Their goal is to raise 1,100 teddy bears for donation and give them out to the community. George, we love organizations like this that not only are just nonprofits that do good deeds, but also foster that kind of like community-wide participation, days of giving, that kind of thing. So really cool to see an organization raising teddy bears for a good cause. Their motto is rally around kindness. And I think that's a timely and timeless motto. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. All right. Final question for you. Why did the League of American Orchestras get hit by lightning? The League of American Orchestras? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hit don't know, by lightning. George. Boom. They had a conductor? Oh, good God. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Well, that's what you get for making it the end. Thanks, Nick, for helping us with this week's nonprofit news feed. Hey, like, subscribe, depending on how and where you're watching this. And we send out weekly email summaries so you can click and go into any of these stories. Thanks, George. This has been the nonprofit news feed summary of the week. Thanks for joining us. As always, you can find resources at nonprofitnewsfeed.com. And don't forget to sign up for our weekly email summaries of the best news from the best sector.